We are in James chapter 5, going through verses 1 through 12. James has a lot to say about some rich people again. This is the second time he brought them into the the letter, so we're going to check out those things. The final verse we're going to be into tonight talks about um, not swearing by things like heaven or, or earth. So does that mean, as some Christians have interpreted, that we should not be sworn in to tell the truth? So we will take a look at these things as we get in here. But let's look at verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Now, in the Bible, people are not rebuked for having wealth. It's not necessarily wrong to be rich. Abraham was made rich by God and many other cases of this in the Word. David, Solomon. It's People are not rebuked for having wealth, but for its misuse. People who misuse the wealth. So who are the rich people here that James is speaking of? You remember he referred to them in chapter 2, verse 2 through 6 when it said some rich people would come in into the church, into the synagogue, and they would get special treatment because they were rich. And we brought that part in. Now, these rich people were coming into the church, so they at least knew things about God. The ones that he's speaking about here, we don't know that they come to church at all. They may just be rich people over overall, but there may be some rich people in church that are coming in that have relied on their their riches. When we rely on riches, that's not going to cut it for us. And the garments that we have maybe look real, real good on the outside, but God sees them as moth-eaten. So this could be the unrepentant rich who depend on their wealth. It could be some in the church who love their wealth even more than God. Jesus ran into a few of those during his time there. They love God, but they love their riches more. So either way, it is their coming judgment that is spoken of. That part we are certain certain for. Now there's a temporary nature of earthly riches in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people, the prince who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of war. Desolations are determined. So, of course, they had much wealth, they had a lot of money, but that was all going to go away very quickly for those folks in the end. Matthew 6 and 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's terrible the people who think that the light that illuminates them is actually darkness in God's eyes, making their darkness even greater. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So he says here, It's not bad to have the treasures on earth, but that's not where your treasures ought to be stored up. 
Make sure that it's not where all your treasures are stored up because they are temporary. Now, light that is darkness, another word you could put in here for this is deception. These are deceived people. Light that appears to be darkness to the people who walk in it is deception. They are serving two masters and that is the cause of the deception. They think they can serve two. They think they could have money and God uh, with them and have them both be in the high esteem that they hold them. But he's saying, nope, you're not going to be able to serve two masters. Either you serve the master of God or you're going to serve the master of money or you're going to serve whatever else is there. First Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So riches, when people get them, they can sometimes get stingy with them and they begin to hoard those things up, hoard the things up of this world and they're not going out and helping the people that they can, which James was writing about before. If you have the ability to help people and you decide not to. And he talked about the the direction they would be going there. But we can have wealth and certainly we can use that wealth for things that we need, things that we're planning, things that we're doing. But you're going to come across some needs and just make sure that that wealth does not have you, that you become stingy with it and you won't share it. I put in your outline, no matter how precious the commodities are, they are still of the earth and will perish with it. We need to make sure that we have commodities that are not of this earth, not of this world, so that they won't perish when this one does. He says in verse 4, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mow your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Mowers, he's talking about here, now people go out and mow your grass. They didn't mow grass. I don't know that the, uh, when that all started up, but that wasn't going on then. They would go out there and they would begin to reap the the crops that they were growing. And he says, the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. So they were going out there to reap them. They did the work. But then afterwards, the person who hired them didn't pay them all that they owed them. Held back something, whatever it might be. They may have uh, said, well, you didn't reap as much as you were supposed to. So therefore, we can't pay you what we said. If you had worked harder, if you had done this, then maybe we could. But somehow they, they got in there and they they uh, kept back part of what was there. Maybe you've had an experience like that with an employer who promised one thing, but then didn't deliver. That's what he's talking about here. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Now, it's a little blind to us to read this from here. It seems like you have fatted your hearts as in a day of slaughter. And trying to put those two things together, the way that it's... Uh, the way that it reads here in the New King James was a little bit tough. So I pulled it out of the New Living Translation. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. Not as in the day of slaughter, but for the day of slaughter. And this actually seems to have reference to the day of the Lord when the Lord comes and brings judgment down upon them. That basically all they did was they got fat for the day of judgment. They got fat for the day, and he puts it here, the day of slaughter. They will be, they will die 
and all that they are is, is more fat than they would have been otherwise. And that's not going to help you. Let, your, let the wages, let the things that you have do good for you as well as for the other people. He said in verse 6, You have condemned, you have murdered the just, he does not resist you. Again, a new living on this one. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. These are people who, they weren't standing in their way. They weren't hindering them in any way from accomplishing the things they wanted to do. They were poor. They just were trying to earn enough money to get what they needed for that day, for that week, for the time period that they were working for. And these people decided to use their power, their riches, their abilities to come after them. He said, they were not a threat to you. They weren't able to resist you from doing what it was you were able to do, but somehow you decided to come after them. And God saw it, and he heard their cries. And you don't want to be on the receiving end of of God evening this out down the road. So he's uh, he's letting them know, if any of the people that are in the church are doing this, you ought to make sure that you stop. But also, if people are on the receiving end of this type of behavior, just know God's watching. God sees it. And God's taking, taking note, and He will certainly even things up. Now, God's command is to not pervert justice. We saw this in Exodus 23 and verse 6. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Just because he's poor, don't be going for the person with the money because they have influence or they're able to do things. Sometimes people in this area... Well, this person is rich. They might be able to make some donations to my campaign. So I'm going to do some things that are favorable to them. Even though the person that is poor, this is the one that we should be favoring. This is the one that we should be helping. Deuteronomy 24, 17. You shall not pervert justice do the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. That widow taking her garment as a pledge, that may be the only thing that she's got to keep her warm when she has to head out or at nighttime. So he says, don't be taking that. Don't be... Don't be doing things just to benefit you to cause harm to these other ones. Don't pervert justice. And he, he lays, lays out these things. So there's other places in the Word of God to talk about this as well, but these are two that certainly show it to you. Don't pervert the justice. God is looking at those who pervert justice. And it isn't just true for now, but also we've seen this in other, other places, uh, other time periods where justice has been perverted. We're seeing plenty of examples of that now. Where, where justice is being perverted, but it's not just now. It has also gone on in some other times. But God watches. He's taking care of this. The um, Verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. It's the... It's what's growing. The seed that's growing, it needs to receive the early and the latter rain in order for it to produce the fruit. Now, the word here, patience, we've probably talked about this word before. It comes from two words. The first, macros, and the second is thumos. You may remember that thumos is a very strong word for anger. It talks about a strong and growing passion inside of a person about something. So what this basically is, is the, the macros means something long, distance, or far. If, uh, now I was in business, in business school, business minor, I should say, when I was in college, and we would take courses of macroeconomics and microeconomics. Macro is the big picture. 
standing back and looking at the whole thing, micro is getting into the nitty-gritty of, of how things go. So you can get an idea of that word there. This, this word combined may, is translated many times to be long-suffering, and that's the kind of patience it's talking about, uh, patience that is long-suffering. Our flesh gets angry very easily. And those who let their spirit decide and are under its control, they're long-suffering. God wants us to be the people that your spirit is the one that controls you, not your flesh. Very often our flesh can get uh, get us angry because something didn't go right. Something didn't go the way that I wanted. I ordered something that didn't quite come in the way that I ordered it. So I want to get irate and I want to call customer service and ream them out. Well, you know, they made a mistake. Well, I've made mistakes. We've got to make sure that we allow room for other people to, to make mistakes. Be gracious. Don't get... Um, don't get to that place where you are letting your flesh take over. You get angry so easily. Uh, you get stirred up. Make sure that that stays down. He says here, let's read it again. Therefore, be patient. It is actually a command. So what he's saying is, therefore, be patient. Our harvest is down the road. It's not now. Your employer might have taken something away. You may have stolen something. Don't worry. Your harvest is not now, it's down the road. Stay patient. To be patient is a command. This is not something that he says it's, it's part of your personality. He's not saying have a, a personality that is patient. He is giving you a command. I put this in your outline for you too. Therefore, if it is a, it is a decision and not a quality. It is a decision because it is a command to do this. It is a decision on my part. It is not a quality on my part. We have fallen into this very often. Well, this person is just more patient. I'm not that patient. I don't have that kind of patience. I wasn't born that way. My personality type, my nationality, all these different things we say. But James is not having any part of that. He's telling all of them, be patient. So it is a decision that I make to be patient or to not. I either make the decision to let my flesh take over and I get irate and just uh, upset at the thing. But if you just if you just don't get upset, you'll find out that people on the other end are just just a whole lot more willing to help you out. There was a there was a company I was dealing with. Uh, just I mean it's just lawn stuff, just stuff to to spare in the lawn. But it was supposed to be a more natural product and and they dealt with it through the mail and I was. I called them up one time. I had some questions and they were very, very kind on the phone. Very nice. They were upbeat. It was very, very uh, pleasant conversation. I talked to them about the service and I told them, look, I'm used to this mail order stuff. I get my pool chemicals that way and explained a little bit how that worked. And they said, oh, that sounds really cool. But there wasn't quite the, the same level or the, the same kind of thing. But uh, they actually had an aerial. Uh, you might enjoy this, this part of the story. They had an aerial shot of our house. And they were able to, um, you know, just like Google would have all that. Except I know exactly what day they took the aerial shot. Because on this particular day, it is a very distinctive day in our house. It happens once a year. And it was a church picnic. <laughs> because we had extra tents set up. There were extra cars out in the driveway, along the front of the, the road. And a whole lot more people in the backyard and in the pool. So they took... The picture during one of our, our church picnics <laughs> on a Sunday. Now that's what the, the company is actually called Sunday. And I, I guess maybe they take all their pictures on Sunday. I don't know how that was, but, 
We know that they took that one on a Sunday, and we got the whole church picnic going over there, so I, I saved that to my phone so that I had the aerial shot of us, us there. Mr. Keith's tent is up there, and then he puts up, and uh, saw Mr. Les. He had his, uh, his little umbrella he's got that was in the picture. <laughs> it was just fun to see see all that. But anyway, we were, we were talking about this and mapped it out and talked about how they, they went about things and uh, what kind of things were involved in, and just had a real pleasant conversation. And so I went ahead and signed up for the service and they were going to mail me out the, uh, the chemicals we were using. And so, you know, they give you the tracking information and I'm following this thing all the way. I got real close to the house, got uh, real, real close, got to the final destination. Now, all of a sudden I got this exception and they're mailing it back. And they sent the whole package all the way on back to where it came from, which I think was Kentucky. And uh, I waited for the note that landed on that day. When it landed on that day, I gave them a call. And so I was talking to them, and I says, uh, yeah, the package we had uh, apparently went back to you. I said, I, I imagine you're just going to resend it out. But my, my guess was that UPS, uh, I think it was UPS was handling it, UPS mishandled it, and it's liquid inside, and probably one of them broke, and they had all this liquid that was all over the place, and they uh, didn't want to deal with it, so they probably just sent it on back uh, to you all. And she, <laughs> she was so funny, she says, well, you just have all the answers. I don't really need to tell you anything at all. <laughs> I said, it's really no big deal. I said, we've already treated the lawn for this, this spring. Uh, we're not in any hurry for it, just whenever you can get it on out. That's, uh, that's fine. And she just was so tickled that... Um, I wasn't irate and upset. I didn't see there was no reason for me to be irate. It wasn't like it was a difficult thing. I was suppressing anything. It's just like, ah, we just wanted to get the new thing going and, and going on. So she said, you know what? I'm just going to give you a $10 credit if you ever buy anything from us uh, again. I mean, it's only 10 bucks. I said, you really don't have to do that. It's, it's, it's not important. And she said, no, no, we really want to. And I said, especially in cases like this, it's a pleasure to. Because apparently a lot of people who call up these places are just irate and they get right in their flesh right off the bat. But if you just talk with them and be nice to them and, and stay that way, even if they don't give you anything, just stay nice. You, there's just no reason to let your flesh get all worked up and stirred up. Just stay there and, and be kind with them, and it will work a whole lot better if you, if you do. Be patient. Now, it doesn't just work with customer service people. It works with the church, and this is who he's writing them about. Be patient with the people in the church. He says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. So until the Lord comes, I'm supposed to be patient. Has he come yet? Nope. So since he has not come yet, I am still supposed to be patient. He's not saying be patient for today. He's not saying be patient for seven days. He's not saying be patient for a year. He's saying this is what you are to do. He is commanding it to them. Don't be falling back on the thing, well, my personality is I just get this way. No, that's the way you made your decision. You have to come to the reality of that. So he says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of our Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. So the farmer, he goes out there and he puts the, the seed out there and he's waiting for the rains to fall until that harvest comes on up. He doesn't go out there and dig it up. We need to be patient like the farmer is. We need to be patient like people who know that this, the harvest is coming. Just stay patient. Don't, uh, don't uproot it all. So, our harvest is down the road. You are commanded to be patient. Stay with it. Romans 5, verse 3 and 4, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Sounds like James before. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. That word perseverance is right along the same lines as this one. 
James 1, 2, and 3, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. We need to have this kind of patience. The more that I, the more that I go through trials, it produces patience because I get practice to make a decision to not get in the flesh and to stay spiritual. The reason we get in the flesh is we feel like we have to protect something that is ours. And no one else is protecting it. Therefore, I'm going to get in the flesh. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get upset. I'm going to try and hoot and holler and get people to move. And sometimes you'll get people to move that time because you were hooting and hollering. But in the long run, it isn't going to help. And you're going to be sowing seeds of flesh instead of seeds in the spirit. And that will come about with a harvest. So don't be, don't go out there and do that. Tribulation causes patience to be revealed. Tribulation. It causes patience to be revealed by giving us multiple opportunities to decide to be patient. If I have tribulation three, four, five times a day, that gives me three, four, five times a day to decide not to be fleshly about this thing and to be in my spirit. And then pretty soon you just always make that decision. You just keep going in in that direction. Just like with food, Sometimes diets are out there to try and get you to relearn how to eat. Relearn what kind of things to, to do to, to make better decisions as far as your food is concerned. Not just to be hungry, drive by the fast food place and say, well, I'm really hungry, I guess I'll just get a Burger King today. Instead of just waiting a little bit longer and getting something a little, little bit more healthy, more in line with whatever kind of diet that you're on. He says, verse 8, you also be patient. Again, a command. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now when he uses this term here, establish your heart, he's basically saying be stable. Be stable. Now this patience is a fruit according to Galatians when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love. Patience there is a fruit born out of the love in us by the Holy Spirit. The love of the Holy Spirit is put on the inside of us. One of the things that comes out of it is patience. When we are commanded to be patient, we are commanded to operate in that love. But the enemy wants you to operate according to your flesh, not according to the spirit nature. Once you operate according to the flesh nature, and pretty soon he makes people think, I don't have any choice. This is just how I respond. This is just what I do. It's not going to apparently hold up with God. Now, establish your hearts means to strengthen, make fast, set firmly so the heart will be unshakable. He says, establish your hearts. He wants your heart to be firmly established or stable. This comes from being a doer of the word that we hear, which he had talked about before. If I become a doer of the word, I am establishing my heart. I'm making it stable. When tribulations come, it doesn't move me off of that stand. It doesn't move me off of that platform. I stay there. I'm not moving over into the realm of the flesh. I'm staying here in the realm of the spirit. I'm deciding to stay in the realm of the spirit. I'm not moving over here. Tribulation comes. Don't you want to get upset? Don't you want to let a little steam off? Don't you want to holler at somebody? It's not what we're here to do. So it comes from being a doer of the word. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, 
The floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. That's how God wants us to be. Founded on the rock. It doesn't happen just because we wish it to. It happens because we do certain things. This man built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. That foundation, we need to have it. Storms will come. Tribulations will come. The more in peacetime, the more in easy time, you decide to stay in that area of spirit and not move into that area of flesh. When the tests and the trials come, this is what you, you also decide to do that then. You will learn. Learn to do it. Now Jesus coming here, he's ta- he keeps pointing back to, the, to Jesus coming. And to that day when Jesus comes, this is our motivation and our hope. We get our motivation from this and we get our hope. I know Jesus is coming. Which one he's talking about? I, I expect it's probably the second coming when he is going to bring judgment upon the earth for the sin. It seems like it's more in context with bringing judgment on people than just taking us out. But I'll say it could be, could be either one. I look at it more for the latter that it's a, uh, more when that judgment will come down upon them. He said, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So now he just talked about evil speaking before. Now we're getting into grumble, kind of the same thing. Don't grumble against one another. When you have somebody who aggravates your flesh, don't sit there and grumble about them. Don't get in there and say, Well, this person, oh, that person. Don't get into evil speaking. Don't even start muttering to yourself about how, how bad they are. Stay away from it. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold it, the judge is standing, not a judge, but the judge is standing at the door. I think I put in your outline there, the Bible speaks more about our relationships with each other than our relationships with the world. It is more important to God that our relationships with other Christians be where they should be. Because the world is watching this. Do not grumble against one another. The word there for another is the Greek word alas, which means another of the same kind. Just like you, born again Christian. Well, they're not acting like a born again Christian. It doesn't matter. (laughs) You're not the one to be judging whether they're, they're doing what is right. Or wrong, you can say, well, well, the Word of God says you shouldn't do this, and you know, there's, there's things you can do to help correct them, but if your attitude is wrong, it's not going to be helping you to go out there and do that. Now, condemned here, this is judge, this is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. The judge is standing at the door. That condemnation will be a condemnation that would come upon the, the world. You don't want to be falling into that kind of condemnation. Stay out of it. Don't be grumbling about the people that are around you. This is our witness to the world when they see how we are. God even says in the, in the Word of God that they will know that, the, that the we are no, they will know that we are of Him by the way that we love each other. They're looking for that. We've got to make sure we walk that way. John 13, 35, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. 
So if you're having a hard time loving Christians, maybe you just need to get saved. <laughs> That's what he's saying right there. Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, James 5.10. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of the suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So here's our examples. We have the, the prophets. We have Job. We have those who were sent out and spoke in the name of the Lord. When they went out and spoke in the name of the Lord, they received persecution. Hardly a prophet in the word of God we can find that didn't receive persecution for preaching what it was that he was, he, uh, the, the, the word that God gave him. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah. These all received persecution for the things that they spoke that God had given them to do. But they kept looking ahead to the day that they were prophesying about. They kept looking ahead to the day that God told them was coming and they didn't keep their eyes on the things that were happening at, to them at that time. He said, indeed, in verse 11, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Those people that endure there are blessed people. I want to be among those that endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. People look at the story of Job and a lot of times they think that Job is the one being tested. The book of Job is not about Job being tested. If you actually go back to the beginning of the book, you will find out Job is not the target. The target is God. The reason that the test came about is because Satan accused God that the only reason people worship you is because you give them stuff. I'll prove it to you. Take away the stuff this guy's got, he'll curse you. He won't worship you. And uh, that's where this whole thing went. It was a trial of God, not a trial of Job. And Job went on through. Some of the things we see in the book of Job in chapter 7, verse 11, Therefore I will not restrain my mouth, I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Not everything that Job did was good. Am I, a, am I a sea or a sea serpent that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. For my days are all but a breath. What is man that you should exalt him? That you should set your heart on him? That you should visit him every morning and test him every moment? How long will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? <laughs> now basically what he's saying here is why do you keep your eyes on me that you're trying to, to, to do all this stuff to me? Um, who am I that you're even mindful of me? You know, sometimes we look at that verse, who am I that you're even mindful of me and say, oh wow, what a, what a great thing. Job is saying, why are you mindful of me? What am I, what am I to stop paying so much attention to me? Go, go, uh, look at somebody else for a little while. Just let me be over here and swallow my saliva and die. Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I am a burden to myself? Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the, in the dust and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. 
So God, you're going to keep, you're going to come on down here. You're going to try and find me again to, to make me a target. But I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be gone. <laughs> uh, he does not understand God the way that he should. But in Job 1.22, we do know this. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Later on in Job 42 and verse 10, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now, he was not restored until he prayed for his friends. His friends were fellow believers. And though they were more ignorant on things of God than Job was, and they said some things that were very wrong, and Job heard them and he corrected them on some of those things, but Job also said some things that were very wrong. But God says, you need to pray for them. You need to get to that place where you are not walking in your flesh, but you are walking in your spirit towards them. And when he did, things were restored. Even back there in the Old Testament, God is looking for how we deal with other people that are Christians. Even ones like Job's friends that are messed up in their doctrine. Still got to take a look at that. So Job didn't really get patient until the end when he forgave his friends instead of griping against them. Now we get here to the last verse, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Now, James is coming back here to the speech of the believer, the things that we say. And he's been on this topic a number of different times in these chapters. But he's back on it here in that I should not be saying yes and mean no, or I should not be saying yes and not go after pursuing, making sure that I do that thing, even to the point, he doesn't say this, but other places do in Scripture, even to the point that it's, it's going to hurt me in order to get it done. He said, do not swear either by heaven or, or earth. Now, there are some Christians and even whole uh, groups of Christians who, who make it a point to apply this to the life in that if they get before court, I will not swear on the Bible. If I swear on the Bible, this is uh, going to bring condemnation on me. Now, they're misunderstanding the Scripture. They're misunderstanding what is being said here. They're taking a meaning that is different from what is intended. Uh, and sometimes when we do that, we can actually come along with a lesser meaning and we're not living up to what God actually called us to be. Now, in this particular instance, most of the people, most of the groups of Christians that I know that take this to mean, in court, I will not swear. That they, and they, they'll say, that people bring the Bible up to them, put your hand on the Bible and swear, I will not swear, but I will promise. And they will say that. Um, I will make a promise that I will not lie or whatever. And so, uh, a lot of times they're given the pass in court because of, uh, religious exemptions and, and such things. And if they want to do that, that's, that, that's, you know, up to them. That's fine. That's not really what James is talking about here. Uh, but th- most of those people are passionate enough with that, that doctrine that they, they hold to that they actually still fulfill what he speak, what he's speaking about. And that let your yes be yes and your no be no. Most of the people that I know that hold to that type of a doctrine and will do so even in court, there are also people that when they say, yes, I'll do that, yes, yes, here, there are also people that will fulfill that and keep that yes. So they got the, they got the meaning. Even though I don't think it's, it's a big deal. If you are in court 
and they say, um, put your hand on the Bible. Will you, will you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. And I do. And then you can go on and, and do things. I don't know that I would disrupt the court hearing that is going on. That I would probably just uh, uh, go along with it and so forth. He's not saying, here, let's read it again. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. The judgment that you fall into is not because you swore on something. It is because you did not let your yes be yes and your no, no. That was the problem. Now, if anyone wants to take from this that, well, I'm not going to go into court and swear by, uh, by anything, that's fine. You can do that, but just make sure that you hold on to the, the actual meaning here in that when you speak words, those words need to be true. And you don't need anything else to make those words true. What would happen is that people say, well, I did not swear by the temple. Remember, Jesus was dealing with this. If you swore by the temple, that's one thing. But if you swore by the gold of the temple, <laughs> it's like, come on. Either yes or no. Not by what you swore to. Well, I, 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 the reason I broke my word there is because I didn't swear to this particular thing. If I had done that, then I would have been bound. No, that's ridiculous. You have, this is exactly what James is talking about. If you say yes, then that yes means yes. People don't need to know the code. Well, my code is, if I swear by this particular thing, no. He said, when he says by heaven or earth, he's saying by things in heaven or things on earth. There's no building that you swear by. There's no riches that you swear by. And there's nothing in heaven that you swear by. If you say yes, that yes carries as much power as a yes that has, because uh, you swore by heaven. There shouldn't be any kind of grading on this. And that's what he's trying to get them to, to get at. And this was going on. I don't know that we see it so much today, but it was certainly going on uh, in James's day. Even Jesus dealt with this, that there's different levels of, uh, of swearing. If I swore to the temple, well, that puts me at one level. But And all the other things that they would say. So this is what he's trying to get at. Again, if you feel passionate of, about it, that you don't want to in court and you say, uh, for religious reasons, I won't swear on the Bible. Uh, they will let you uh, get by with that. And you say, but well, my yes will be yes and my no will be no. I will testify to the truth. And they will let you let you go with that. Really, what difference does it make? if you, <laughs> You're under oath, whether you swore on the Bible or not. You're in court. You're under oath to be given whatever it is that uh, is truth under penalty of perjury, as they as they say. And that's why a lot of people try not to be under oath. Now, I put a couple of things here at the end. Just in a summation of what he is saying here. Use the treasures of this world to profit you in the next. That's the first thing we can take. Use the treasures of this world. This world has certain things that it looks as as treasures. God doesn't see them as treasures. He sees them as temporary. He sees them as, as uh, not being able to pass on into the next. But take the treasures that are here in this world... And use them while you're in this world to help you in the next. That's what you want to do. Use the treasures of this world to profit you in the world that is to come. Let the trials of this life benefit you in the next. There's trials and tribulations that you're going to go through in this life. 
let those trials of this life benefit you in the life that is to come. The way it happens with a lot of people is the trials of this life just affect them in this life. And they don't get anything from those trials that will pass on into the next kingdom, into the next world. But when those trials come upon you, as he, he started off with, count it all joy. Look at the good things that come from this. This has given me opportunity to decide to be patient. And if I have that patience, that is going to transfer over into the next world. Let the trials of this life benefit you in the next. And here's the last one. And let the integrity of your words in this earthly system follow you into the heavenly one. Let the integrity of your words in this earthly system follow you into the heavenly one. There are things we do in this earth system, but have the integrity, even though it does not have integrity. You have the integrity, even in this fallen world system, even in this world system that is full of inconsistencies, hypocrisies. You don't let that affect you. You're in this world system, but you stay true. My yes is yes. My no is no. Yeah, but so-and-so lied to you. Yeah, but so-and-so cheated you. Yeah, but so-and-so, they did this to you. Doesn't matter. I am going to walk this way because I am going to let my integrity in this life transfer over into the next. If I allow the corruption of this world to affect me so that my yes is not yes all the time, my no is not no all the time, I would fall into judgment. And God doesn't want that to happen to you. So James is warning his people, about these things. Again, he's writing to people that have been dispersed. Many times, the only people that got dispersed are people who had some money. If you were poor, you probably couldn't afford to make a trip to another city in another another country in order to get away from the persecution that was following you or that was hitting you there in Jerusalem, in Judea. You couldn't just make that trip. So the people who made this they had some money. Some may have taken all the money they had and put it into whatever they needed to escape and to, to make the trip and to go. And maybe they don't have any money anymore. But some of the ones that went, they went because they had money. I don't have to put up with this. I can, uh, we can up and move. We can go to another place and, and get away from this persecution that's coming down upon Christians here in this, this city. But whatever we do, make sure that you are using the things that are in this world for what will happen in the next. Always keep the next world in view. God has it in view. He wants you to keep it in view. You're going to have treasures. You're going to have things down here on this earth. Make sure that you you use them ahead. How many times have we heard of certain stocks that were real cheap to get into uh, many years ago and the people that made... The investments and they bought a lot of money in that stock. They uh, came out with quite a fortune because they had decided to get into that early and the thing multiplied and, and grew. And we said, oh, I wish I would have made that decision way back then. It'd be paying me dividends right now. Well, if you make the decision to take just the, in these three areas, to take the money that we have, the riches, the stuff that we have in this world, and use that in such a way that it transfers over into the next, that you take the trials that are hitting you in this world and use them in such a way that they will benefit you in the next. 
and you take the integrity of your words and don't let it be affected by the lack of integrity and all the people that are around you, but you stay with it and let it follow you into the heavenly one. Father, I thank you that we have the hope of the coming of Jesus, that judgment is coming upon those who do not choose to follow you. But we want to stay out of that area of judgment. We want to use the things of this world in the ways that your word has told us so that it will bring us benefit in the world that is to come. You have a great love for us. You desire that our life in the next kingdom is positively affected by the things we do here. So you tell us what we need to do. If we will have faith in those words that you told us, we will have faith in the things that we can do down here, even though it seems like it is taking away from us, taking away from our lifestyle down here. But if we do it, it will have an effect upon what happens in the next life. We'll have faith in that. We can change our futures. We can make them better. Thank you for the help you give us in this. In Jesus' name, amen.